Chapter 10 of A Red Wall Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wall Flower by Susan Warner. Chapter 10 The Blessing. So spring came, and the nice summer and the time when the collegian was expected home. The roses were blossoming and the pinks were sweet in the old-fashioned flower garden in front of the house, and the smell of the hay came from the fields where mowers were busy, and the trill of a bobolink sounded in the meadow. It was evening when Pitt made his way from his father's house over to the colonel's, and he found Esther sitting in the veranda with all the sweetness about her. The house was old and country-fashioned, the veranda was raised but a step above the ground, low and with slim little pillars to support its roof, and those pillars were all there was between Esther and the flowers. At one side of the house there was a lawn. In front, the space devoted to the flowers was only a small strip of ground, bordered by the paling fence and the road. Pitt opened a small gate and came up to the house, through an army of balsams, hollyhocks, roses, and honeysuckles, and balm and southernwood. Esther had risen to her feet, and with her book in her hand, stood awaiting him. Her appearance struck him as in some sense new. She looked pale, he thought, and the mental tension of the moment probably made it true, but it was not merely that. There was a refined, ethereal gravity and beauty, which it is very unusual to see in a girl of thirteen an expression too spiritual for years which ought to be full of joyous and careless animal life. Nevertheless, it was there, and it struck Pitt not only with a sense of admiration, but almost with compassion, for what sort of a part and introverted life could it be which had called forth such a look upon so young a face? No child living among children could ever be like that, nor any child living among grown people who took proper care of her unless indeed it were an exceptional case of disease which sets apart from the whole world. But Esther was perfectly well. "'I've been watching for you,' she said as she gave him her hand, and a very lovely smile of welcome. "'I have been looking for you ever so long. "'I don't know what made Pitt do it, and I do not think he knew. "'He had never done it before, but as he took the hand and met the smile— he bent down and pressed his lips to those innocent, smiling ones. I suppose it was a very genuine expression of feeling. The fact that he might not know what feeling is nothing to the matter. Esther colored high and looked at him in astonishment. It was a flush that meant pleasure quite as much as surprise. I came as soon as I could, he said. Oh, I knew you would. Sit down here, Pitt. Papa is sleeping. He had a headache. I am so glad you have come. How is the colonel? He says he's not well. I don't know. And, Queen Esther, how are you? Oh, I'm well. Are you sure? Why, certainly, Pitt. What should be the matter with me? There is never anything the matter with me. I should say a little too much thinking, said Pitt, regarding her. Oh, but I have to think, said Esther soberly. Not at all necessary, nor in my opinion advisable. There are other people in the world whose business it is to do the thinking. Leave it to them. 
you cannot do it, besides. Who will do my thinking for me? asked Esther, with a look and a smile which would have better fitted twice her years, a look of wistful inquiry, a smile of soft derision. I will, said Pitt boldly. Will you? Oh, Pitt, I would like to ask you something. But not now, she added immediately. Another time. Now tell me about college. He did tell her. He gave her details of things he told no one else. He allowed her to know of his successes, which Pitt was too genuinely modest and manly to enlarge upon even to his father and mother. But to these childish eyes and this implicit trusting, loving, innocent spirit, he gave the infinite pleasure of knowing what he had secretly enjoyed alone, in the depths of his own mind. It pleased him to share it with Esther. As for her, her interest and sympathy knew no bounds. Pitt, however, while he was talking about his own doings and affairs, was thinking about Esther. She had changed somehow. That wonderful stage of life, where the brook and river meet, she had hardly yet reached. She was really a little girl still, or certainly ought to be. What was then this delicate, grave, spiritual look in the face, the thoughtful intelligence, the refinement of perception, so beyond her years? No doubt it was due to her living alone, with a somewhat gloomy father, and being prematurely thrown upon a woman's needs and a woman's resources. Pitt recognized the fact that his own absence might have had something to do with it, so long as he had been with her, teaching her and making a daily breeze in her still life, Esther had been in a measure drawn out of herself and kept from brooding, and then, beyond all, the natural organization of this fine creature was of the rarest, strong and delicate at once, of large capacities and with correspondingly large requirements, able for great enjoyment, and open also to keen suffering. He could see it in every glance of the big, thoughtful eyes, and every play of the sensitive lips, which had, however, a trait of steadfastness and grave character along with their sensitiveness. Pitt looked, and wondered, and admired. This child's face was taking on already a fascinating power of expression, quite beyond her years, and that was because the inner life was developing too soon into thoughtfulness and tenderness, and too early realizing the meaning of life. Nothing could be more innocent of self-consciousness than Esther. She did not even know that Pitt was regarding her with more attention than ordinary, or, if she knew, she took it as quite natural. He saw that, and so indulged himself. What a creature this would be, by and by! But in the meantime, what was to become of her? Without a mother, or a sister, or a brother, all alone, with nobody near who even knew what she needed, what would become of her? It was not stagnation that was to be feared, but too vivid life, not that she would be mentally stunted, but that the growth would be to exhaustion, or lack the right hardening processes, and so be unhealthy. The colonel awoke after a while, and welcomed his visitor as truly, if not as warmly, as Esther had done. He always had liked young Dallas, and now, after so long living alone, the sight of him was specially grateful. Pitt must stay and have tea, and the talk between him and the colonel went on unflaggingly. Esther said nothing now, but Pitt watched her, and saw how she listened, 
saw how her eyes accompanied him, and her lips gave their silent tokens of understanding. Meanwhile she poured out tea for the gentleman, did it with quiet grace and neatness, and was quick to see and attend to any little occasion for hospitable care. The old life began again now in good measure. Esther had no need to beg Pitt to come often. He came constantly. He took up her lessons, as of old, and carried them on vigorously, rightly thinking that good sound mental work was wholesome for the child. He joined her in drawing, and begged the colonel to give him instruction too, and they studied the coins in the boxes with fresh zeal. And they had glorious walks and most delightful botanizing in the early summer mornings, or when the sun had got low in the western sky. Sometimes Pitt came with a little tax cart and took Esther a drive. It was all delight. I cannot tell which thing gave her most pleasure. To study with Pitt, or to play with Pitt, one was as good as the other, and the summer days of that summer were not fuller of fruit-ripening sun than of blessed, warm, healthy, and happy influences for this little human plant. Her face grew bright and joyous, though in moments when the talk took a certain sober tone, Pitt could see the light or the shadow, he hardly knew which to call it, of that too early spiritual insight and activity come over it. One day, soon after his arrival, he asked her what she had been thinking about so much. They were sitting on the veranda again, to be out of the way of the colonel. They were taking up lessons, and had just finished an examination in history. Pitt let the book fall. "'You said the other day, Queen Esther, that you were under the necessity of thinking. May I ask what you have been thinking about?' "'Did I say that?' "'Something like it.' Esther's face became sober. "'Everybody must think, I suppose, Pitt?' "'That is a piece of your innocence.' A great many people get along quite comfortably without doing any thinking at all. One might as well be a squash, said Esther gravely. I don't see how they can live so. Some people think too much. Why? I don't know why, I am sure. It's their nature, I suppose. What harm, Pitt? You keep a fire going anywhere, and it will burn up what is next to it. Is thought like fire? So far it is. What were you thinking about, Queen Esther? I had been wanting to ask you about it, Pitt, the girl said, a little with the air of one who is rousing herself up to give a confidence. I was looking for something, and I did not know where to find it. Looking for what? I remembered. Mama said people could always find comfort in the Bible, but I did not know how to look for it. Comfort, Queen Esther? said Pitt, rousing himself now. You were not in one of that article, were you? After you were gone, you know, I hadn't anybody left. And, oh, Pitt, are you going to England? One thing at a time. Tell me about this extraordinary want of comfort at twelve years old. That is improper, Queen Esther. Why, she said, casting up to him a pair of such wistful, sensitive, beautiful eyes, that the young man was almost startled. People at your age ought to have comfort enough to give away to other people. I shouldn't think they could, always, said Esther quaintly. What is the matter with you? Esther looked down, a little uneasily. 
She felt that Pitt ought to have known. And he did know. However, he thought it advisable to have things brought out into the full light and put into form, hoping they might so be easier dealt with. Esther's next words were hardly consecutive, although perfectly intelligible. I know, of course, you cannot stay here always. Of course, but then I shall always be coming back. Esther sighed. She was thinking that the absences were long and the times of being at home short. But what was the use of talking about it? That lesson, that words do not change the inevitable, she had already learned. Pitt was concerned. Where did you say your highness went to look for comfort? In the Bible. Oh, yes, that was what I wanted your help about. I did not know how to look, and Papa said he didn't. Or I don't know if he said exactly that, but it came to the same thing. And then I asked Barker. Was she any wiser? No. She said her way of finding anything was to begin at one end and go through to the other. So I tried that. I began at the beginning, and I read on, but I found nothing until... I'll show you, she said, suddenly breaking off and darting away, and in two minutes more she came back with her Bible. She turned over the leaves eagerly. Here, Pitt, I came to this. Now what does it mean? She gave him the volume open at the sixth chapter of Numbers, in the end of which is the prescribed form for the blessing of the children of Israel. Pitt read the words to himself. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee, and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee, and give thee peace. Esther waited till she saw he had read them through. Now, Pitt, what does that mean? Which? That last. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee, and give thee peace. What does lift up his countenance upon thee mean? What did it mean? Pitt asked himself the question for the first time in his life. He was quite silent. You see, said Esther quaintly, after a pause, you see, that would be comfort. Pitt was still silent. Do you understand it, Pitt? Understand it, Esther? He said, knitting his brows. No, nobody could do that except the people that had it. But I think I see what it means. The people that had it? That had what? This wonderful thing. What wonderful thing? Queen Esther, you ought to ask your father. I can't ask Papa, said the little girl. If ever I speak to him of comfort, he thinks directly of Mama. I cannot ask him again. And I am all your dependence, he said, half lightly. I mustn't depend upon you either. Only, now you are here, I thought I would ask you. You ought to have a better counselor. However, perhaps I can tell you what you want to know, in part. Queen Esther, was your mother or your father ever seriously displeased with you? Esther reflected, a little astonished, and then said no. I suppose not, said Pitt. Then you don't know by experience what it would be. To have either of them refuse to look at you or smile upon you? Hide their face from you, in short? Why, no, never. You're a happy girl. But what has that to do with it? 
nothing to do with it. It is the very contrast and opposite, in fact. Don't you see? Lift up the light of thy countenance. You know what the light of a smiling, loving face of approval is. You know that, Queen Esther. That, repeated Esther, breathlessly. Yes, I know, but this is God. Yes, and I do not understand, but that is what it means. You don't understand? No, how should I? But that is what it means. Something that answers to what among us a bright face of love is, when it smiles upon us. That is light, isn't it? Yes, said Esther. But how can this be, Pitt? I cannot tell, but that is what it means. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. They are very fine words. Then I suppose, said Esther slowly, if anybody had that, he wouldn't want comfort? He wouldn't be without it, you mean? Well, I should think he would not. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. But I don't understand, Pitt. No, Queen Esther, this is something beyond you and me. How can one come to understand? Pitt was silent a minute, looking down at the words. I do not know, he said. That is a question. It is a look of favor and love described here, but of course it would not give peace, unless the person receiving it knew he had it. How that can be, I do not see. Both were silent a little while. Well, said Esther, you have given me a great deal of help. How? Oh, you have told me what this means, said the child, hanging over the words, which Pitt still held. That does not give it to you. No, but it is a great deal to know what it means, said Esther, in a tone which Pitt felt had a good element of hopefulness in it. What are you going to do about it? Esther lifted her head and looked at him. It was one of those looks which were older than her years, far-reaching, spiritual, with an intense mixture of pathos and hope in her eyes. I shall go on trying to get it, she said. You know, Pitt, it is different with you. You go out into the world and you have everything you want, but I am here, quite alone. End of chapter 10 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.